1 Samuel chapter number 3 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter number 3. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter number 3. Last time I got to preach to you, it was a youth Sunday, and we looked in the book of Judges on killing the next generation. And we looked at how just in the span of a comma in our text, just in the span of a punctuation mark, an entire generation in the book of Judges uh, forgot about God and knew nothing of God. And uh, tonight, this morning... And probably tonight, too, we'll be doing a two-part message, and we're going to be looking at the last two of those judges that God gave to Israel. Uh, We were going to be looking at the lives of Eli and of Samuel. So when you found your place in 1 Samuel, chapter number 3, please stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. 1 Samuel, chapter number 3, we're going to read just verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. There's our two Bible characters, men of God, we're going to look at this morning. And the word of the Lord was precious and there's, in those days. There was no open vision. This morning I want to preach on this thought. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. If there was ever a service not to fall asleep under, it's this one. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Eli and Samuel. Thank you so much that you came and you saw and you gave the ability for these men to write so that we may not repeat some of the same errors and so that we can add to our lives the testimonies of these men and live that which is right according to not what I say, not what a church says, not what a religion makes up, but God, what your holy and inspired word instructs us to do. God, I pray this morning that if there's one here in danger of falling asleep, if there's one in here in danger of never waking up, God, I pray that you save them by your grace this morning. I pray that you call them and show them what it is you'd have them to do with their lives. God, I pray that you move in your people in a mighty way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning we're coming into a book, we're coming into a chapter uh, where for a number of years there were only judges in the nation of Israel. We know at the end of the book of Judges, uh, the the verse tells us that in those days there was no king in Israel and men did that which was right in their own sight. That uh, it was essentially chaos. You had people doing what they wanted to do and and saying what they wanted to say and living how they wanted to live. And God rose up judges like Gideon and Samson to help them and kind of poke them and prod them back in the right direction, protect them and preserve them. And then this morning, we're going to look at the last of those two judges, Eli and Samuel. Eli, we know, was a priest. He had been doing his duty as a priest there in the tabernacle and had uh, spent his time representing the people of God to God, performing those sacrifices, performing those ordinances there in that tabernacle. And we know the story of Samuel. We know Hannah prayed for that child, and we know Hannah prayed and promised God that if he gave her a son, that she would turn him over to God. And there he went. He was born, and as soon as Samuel was weaned, he was shipped off uh, to Bible camp forever. All right? How many of you kids are you're scared to death to go to camp for a week? Imagine mama looking at you going, All right, son, you're weaned. You're, you're able to self sustain now. Off you go. You're going to church, and you're never coming home. You're staying there. You're going to learn. You're going to serve. God. And that's what happened to Samuel. And the last two judges we're going to look at this morning, it's, imper- it's important to understand that they weren't some, like some of the other judges. They weren't Bible heroes. They weren't 
necessarily uh, war heroes, I should say, rather than Bible heroes. They weren't uh, great battle leaders like Gideon, and they didn't see great miraculous things happen like Samson. These two men were serving in a day, we're going to find out, where the lamp of God, the light of God there in the tabernacle had grown dim. It was scarce. It was flickering. It was in a place where many had turned and walked away and had forgotten the God they were serving completely. And there you have faithful Eli and this Samuel, this young man that had been surrendered to follow Eli and to serve God here in this place. And what we're going to find out through these two messages this morning and tonight, that men of God and these two men of God and men of God today are very different from each other. Why? Because men of God are people of God. And as we talked about in children's Sunday school this morning, every person is different. Some of y'all are in trouble because I had some of those kids up there tell me about their weird families, and then it backfired on me because the weirdest person my daughter could come up with was her daddy. So we, <clears throat> we had to quickly divert and go. But we learned this morning that the people of God, the family of God, everyone is different. And here we would see two different men of God, two different strengths and weaknesses. And as I got to thinking about this, it was a few weeks ago, I was sitting there in Brother Frank's Sunday school class, and Brother Frank has a gift to teach Sunday school. God's blessed him with that gift, and I was just thinking and pondering, and it's amazing how God blesses teachers and preachers of His Word and gives them abilities to do different things. And as my young mind began to wonder, I said, it's kind of like ocean exploration. Preaching God's Word, ministering God's Word is kind of like ocean exploration. What are you talking about, preacher? There are some men of God out there that can take the ocean in its entirety, the Bible in its entirety, the gospel in its entirety, and paint that beautiful portrait from Genesis to Revelation and take it at surface level from the beginning to the end and preach how it is one book, one story of God's redeeming work of grace. And there are preachers that are gifted in zooming out and looking at the big picture and showing you what, what it meant here and what it meant here and how it all comes together. And they're good at standing there on the beach and looking out at that ocean and really being able to paint that entire picture and open our eyes to it. Then there's preachers like our pastor who they look at that ocean and they want to go deep sea exploring and they go off into that water and they start scuba diving and finding what's all underneath the levels and what's underneath the ten toenails and Daniel and what's underneath in the dirt and the toenails and what's the prophecy behind this and the, the meaning behind this and the lineage behind that. There are preachers that are gifted to do that and dive deep and explore. And then there's preachers, which I would like to consider myself, that they stand in that that same place and they see out there in the ocean and they stand in that same place on the beach and rather than having the gift and ability to paint the global picture, to paint the big picture or have the ability or gift to dive deep and explore and, and, and really expose and really bring out some of those deeper truths, there's preachers like I would like to consider myself hopefully that just look at it and go, cannonball! And that are good at going into the Word and going into the Scriptures and going into the stories that God's given us and just simply jumping in. And where whoever gets wet, gets wet. And whoever gets splashed, gets splashed. And whoever the truth kind of explodes on, it explodes on. And at the end of the day, it all comes back from the same ocean. It all comes back from the same place, your B-I-B-L-E. This morning, we're going to look at two men, two preachers who were in a transitional state. And by introduction this morning, we're going to break it down in the first couple of verses. First thing we want to understand is that each and every one of us are called differently right here where we are. Right here where we are was a lot like right there where they were. All right? They were in a place where the majority had forgotten 
about the tabernacle. The majority had forgotten about the sacrifices and ordinance that they were supposed to be carrying out. The majority of them weren't coming to the tabernacle of God and worshiping God there in those Israeli days, in those Old Testament days, like they should have been. Can we get a witness that today the lamp of God seems to have grown dim. The church abroad has kind of faded a little bit to the back the backstage and the world seems to be getting more powerful and more powerful and more chaotic and more chaotic and meanwhile the church is just kind of fading to the background and there are still great churches, Bible-believing churches like this one that are standing and that are preaching and that are ministering and that are working. But by and large, they're in a day where God's calling was desperately needed. Number one, they were waiting in distress. Waiting in distress. Look at verse number one. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Eli there was ministering there at the tabernacle. And it's important to understand that he himself was faithfully serving God. But Eli was growing old in days. And we know there from our verse that the word of God was precious. The, the meaning of that word was simply scarce. That there was no open vision. There was not many visions taking place. God was not giving many new instructions. God was not giving many new uh, advices and different things for them to follow. And Eli was just kind of simply going through the motions as he was was called to do as a priest and performing what he needed to perform, but by and large, the environment was that of distress. The message and the, the ministry of God there in that tabernacle was slowly dwindling down. Number two, he was waxing old in days. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place. We're going to find out in our text in a little bit that Eli couldn't hear very well. He couldn't see very well. It says his eyes grew dim. And in a couple chapters later, we know he had a hard time hearing. Eli's body was breaking down around him. The vessel by which he was using to perform the ministry of God, the vessel by which he was using was beginning to break down. And he was no longer to do the things he wanted to do. He was no longer able to exercise the things he wanted to exercise. He wasn't able to hear the things he wanted to hear, see the things he wanted to see. And we know the story of Eli and his two sons that were rebellious. He was unable to discipline them like he maybe once would have because he had grown old. He was waxing old in days. And thirdly, they were worshiping in the dark. How many of you have ever worshiped in the dark? You know, we're going to look at that on a deeper level here this morning. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. Some other translations say that it was flickering. It was very dim. There in the tabernacle, the lamp, the, the thing that they would have used to shed light, to perform worship and those sacrifices and those services there on those altars and at those incense altars and at the uh, mercy seat there in the Holy of Holies and all the things that they would have been doing there in the tabernacle. It says that the lamp of God had gone out. They were in darkness here. It's nighttime. It's time for bed. And there you can imagine, and I want you to go with me into Samuel's mind. I want you to close your eyes, and like Samuel would have done, lay down like you were going to go to sleep, and just imagine going to sleep in this time, in this time period. Your mentor, your Samuel, as you're laying there, eyes closed, falling fast asleep there in the temple, your mentor is winding down. His family is ripping the church apart. Hothni and Phinehas, his two sons, had begun to do terrible things there in the tabernacle. And all you've ever known is priesthood. All you've ever known, you're Samuel, all you've ever known is your mama shipped you off here to this tabernacle to begin learning. And everything you came to learn, the man you came to follow, the generation before you has 
kind of left it in a disarrayed state. And there you are as Samuel falling asleep to the reality that your mentor is going down, his family is tearing the church apart, and that you really don't have any surety or certainty that God's going to return and God's going to visit again. You don't know what your future is going to hold. For Samuel there, it was shaky at best. It was sketchy at best. It was wobbly at best. Put yourself in Samuel's shoes, laying down there in the tabernacle of God, staring up through the tent into the stars and and wondering what in the world is going on. Let me tell you something. There was no choir. There was no large groups of people coming to perform their sacrifices. There was no crowd. There was no large group of people coming and, and coming alongside Samuel there and coming alongside Eli. And there was no comforts. We know that Eli's son was selling the sacrifices or taking the meat from the sacrifices and eating it and taking the meat from the sacrifices and, and dis, dishonoring it by eating it and cooking it and taking advantage of it. They were in a place where the, there wasn't much comfort. There weren't uh, fellowship dinners once a month. There wasn't Brother Frank's rice. There wasn't things that they could take comfort in. There wasn't things that they could just go through the motion in. They were in distress. They were in distress. And as you lay there, picturing yourself in Samuel's shoes, you hear something. You hear something. You hear a synonymous voice. Look with me at chapter number, or verse number four. Verse number three. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And Samuel was laid down to sleep. That the Lord called Samuel and he answered, here am I. He hears a voice. He hears his name. He hears the call of God on his life. And the voice he heard was scarce. The verse he heard, the voice he heard was precious. We learned back from verse number one that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. This would have been something he never heard before. This would have been something like he had never experienced before. But when he heard it, when he heard God call out to him, Samuel, the voice was so synonymous with the voice of Eli that who did he go talk to? Eli's voice had become God's voice to Samuel. Because Samuel had never heard the audible voice of God like Eli had in the Old Testament. And Samuel had never seen this vision. We know that from verse number 1. And when, Eli, or when Samuel heard God's calling on his life, he runs to the elder man of God in verse number 5. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou hast called me. And he said, I called not. Now wait a second. Samuel starts going, Now this old man has lost it. I know he called me. I was sleeping, and I clearly heard somebody call my name. And he's the only other one here. There ain't nobody else here. There ain't nobody else. To... This man, he's gone wacko. He's gone crazy. Maybe he's sleep talking. And we know there, it was a scarce voice. It was a sincere voice. Look at verse number 6. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son. Eli loved Samuel. Eli had mentored Samuel. Eli had raised him from a child. Eli had taught Samuel everything he knew. It was not only a scarce voice he was hearing, it was a sincere voice. Eli said, my son, my son. He was patient with him. 
And you could see probably the wheels in Eli's head started to turn and say, maybe this kid's not just having a crazy dream. Maybe he didn't have too much of uh, this to eat for dinner and he's just hearing voices in his sleep. Maybe there's something a little bit deeper here and we'll find out in uh, verse number 7. In verse number 8, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord revealed to him. We're going to come back to that in a second. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived. And Eli perceived. It was a symbolic voice. Eli had the realization, Oh, God's calling him. God's speaking to him. God's reaching out to him. And Eli had enough knowledge and had enough insight and had enough discernment to say, what did he say in verse number 8? And he, uh, he arose, called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down. He didn't just tell him to go back to bed. He didn't just tell him to go back to sleep. But he gave him instruction here. And it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. In his place. Look back up with me at verse number 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Now hold that verse and look over at verse number 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the what? Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. So here in verse number 1, we have the Bible clearly telling us, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And then in verse number 7, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Eli just had the realization that he had taken Samuel through an entire life of serving, of working, of going through the priestly duties, of going through the motions of church, of going through the motions of the tabernacle, but yet Samuel didn't even have a clue who God was, didn't have a clue what God sounded like, didn't have a clue what God's vision was for him. We have Eli here have the realization like, wait a second, I've taught you everything I know about how to serve God, how to work for God, how to do for God, how to work, 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 but I have failed to introduce you to God himself. I have failed to introduce you to Jesus. I have failed to introduce you and explain to you how great he is, how merciful he is, how mighty he is, how he speaks to us, how he audibly tells us. What we have in our Bible is not a contradiction. It is an explanation of how Eli had gone through the motions with Samuel and made sure he was such a good priest that he failed to help him become a prophet. Help, he failed to help him become somebody that could hear the word of the Lord. So here we see Eli kind of make retribution for you. He says, go lay down. And let me tell you what to do. When he calls you again, say, speak for thy servant. Hear it. It's important for the Eli's in the room this morning, for people that have got, been there and done that and have knowledge and have wisdom and have the ability to teach and have the ability to show and have the ability to disciple and have the ability to instruct not to take the young generation, not to take the Samuels and teach them how to work, teach them how to do this and teach them how to do that, teach them how to make sure they're not late, teach them how to make sure that uh, they come and get the bacon ready for prayer breakfast or teach them how to mow the grass right or teach them how to work a weed eater, 
bless God, we need more men that can start a weed eater. Amen. If you need somebody to show you men, my wife will teach you how. We need to make sure that we're not guilty of showing that young generation, this is how you work, this is how you work, this is how you work, and never showing them Jesus. Never introducing them to God. Never introducing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection for your sins and mine. That's what Eli had just realized what happened. That Samuel had gone through his entire childhood in education and preparation. But when the moment came, the only voice he recognized was Eli's voice. A synonymous voice. Number two, a solemn vision. A solemn vision. Look at verse number eight. One more time. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down. And if it shall be when he call thee, that thou shalt speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called his other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Samuel was about to receive a vision that would shake him to the core. Samuel was about to, for the first time, hear an instruction from the literal Spirit of God. And here we find Samuel having no idea what's to come. Having no idea that he would be the one to anoint Saul and later anoint David. Having no idea that he would be the one that Israel would look to, to be the prophet of God. He has no idea what his future is. But what is important for you to realize this morning and for me to realize this morning in the life of Samuel is that the calling of God is a whole lot bigger than your circumstances. Rewind with me for a second that just a few moments ago, Samuel was laying down in a place that was forgotten about. Samuel was laying down a place where people were just going through the motions. Samuel was laying down in a place where people had <clears throat> given up hope. The different judges had done their best to keep things together and God had preserved His people and God had protected His people. But by and large, the mentality, the spiritual side, the spiritual health, the spiritual climate, the spiritual climax of their area had begun to decline. And Samuel had laid down there and God did not look down and see a hopeless situation. God did not look down and see a people that he ought to just cast aside. God looked down and saw a people who needed to hear from him, who needed to, a fresh word from the Lord, who needed a fresh vision from God. And he looked down at a young man, Samuel, and said, Samuel, Samuel, there's a generation, we saw some of them yesterday, that God's speaking to right here, right now in 2021. We're not talking about Old Testament speaking, God in a literal voice. We're talking about what we have now in the dispensation of grace of the Holy Spirit is drawing, calling, bringing young people out from the four corners. When you have in 2021 such hatred, meanness, and division broadcasted on every corner, yet you have 2,500 teenagers sign a piece of paper, pay with their lunch money to go meet in the mountains of Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. That is only the work of one person. That is only the ministry of one spirit. That is only the, the miraculous doing of one God. That is the Holy Spirit of God drawing, calling, moving people to a place where they can meet with them, where they can hear from them, where they can be 
begin to realize the calling on their life. And the first thing you've got to realize is that that calling has nothing to do with the circumstances around you. Your calling as an individual, what God has laid and impressed on your heart to you do, for you to do, has nothing to do with the circumstances around you. It has nothing to do with the climate around you. It has nothing to do with the hopeless situation you found yourself in. God's calling on your life is bigger than anything in your life. And He will help you through it. He will bring you to it. And He looks down and He sees Samuel and He says, Samuel, you ever heard Him call your name? Have you ever felt Him draw you, pull you? I remember the day He called mine. I remember the day He pulled mine. I remember the day He showed me I was a sinner as a young eight-year-old little boy in the living room of a house. No preacher would have dared knocked on the door because I'm a preacher now. And I know when you go on visitation, you go, uh, somebody else can knock on that door. That dog's going to tear me apart. Somebody else can knock on that door. I'll go through the front porch. Somebody else can knock on that door. I, I, I'll tear something up. That house is in shambles. That house is falling about. And I know the living room I was in at the time we were in, nobody was coming to knocking on that door. But God gave me a family that took the time to read the Bible to me, to share the Bible to me. And God took the time out of His busy schedule, the sovereign creator of the universe took the time to call me unto salvation. Some of us need to wake up to that call. We wonder, why hasn't God called me to do this or God called me to... Have you answered the first one? Come unto me and I will give you rest. Come, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of times we wonder why the other calls never come is because we never answered the first one. We never answered the first one. So knowing Samuel's laying there and Samuel was about to re realize a vision. Look at verse number 9, 9a. Then, Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, go lay down. I'm going to get to the text eventually. Y'all just stay with me. If he call thee, that thou shalt say, speak, Lord, for thy servant here. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood. Think about that. It says... The Lord came and stood. And the Lord came and stood and called as other times. I bet that voice got a little bit louder when the Lord came and stood. Called as other times. Notice here, Samuel, Samuel. Called him twice. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel. That which both the ears of everyone shall heareth it shall tingle. This vision was important because, and notice here, Eli could no longer hear it. The voice, the audible voice that Samuel was hearing, Eli couldn't hear it. So Samuel had the ability to hear the fresh vision from God, the fresh calling from God. But Samuel had not the knowledge or the foresight to interpret it. Eli could no longer hear the fresh vision, the fresh anointing from God, but he had the knowledge and the foresight to interpret it. Now, here in 2021, there's a group of Eli's that is right here in the church of the living God, right here at the church of Anchor of Hope Baptist Church. And there's a group of people that they may not be able to hear, they may not be able to see, their eyes may have grown a little dim, their bodies may have grown a little frail, and they're not able to see what God's trying to do out there in the mountains of the Smoky Mountain. They're not seeing what God's doing up in North Carolina at some of these churches. They're not seeing what's going on over here in South Carolina. They don't have the abilities anymore to get on the internet and just see all the miracles God's doing and all the 
churches God's growing and how fast Holy Spirit's moving. Their eyes have grown dim. Their eyes have grown soft and their bodies have grown fail. But they have a experience. They have an experience. They have a spirituality to them that is so precious to pour into the next generation because there's people like me. There's people like some of these teenagers that God's doing things with and God's doing things for, but they don't understand it. They don't know what to do with themselves. They don't know which way to turn. They need an older generation that'll take them by the hand and say, the next time God tells you to do this, this is what you do. The next time God puts it on your heart to do something like this, this is what you do. God needs both of us. He needs the Eli's. And He needs the Samuels to wake up. To wake up. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. God had made a decision. All that was left was for Eli and Samuel to recognize where they fit into His plan. Did you know that God's plan was you, for you was predestinated long before you were even thought about? I'm not talking about going to heaven. That's a choice. That's your choice and mine. And God's choice is that for whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. I'm not talking about Calvinism here. But what I am talking about is when you surrender and you take and become part of the saved family of God. God had a plan for you before He even had you. God had a purpose for you before He even had you. God had a goal for you before He even had you. It didn't even require you to exist before His plan existed. You understand that? God's plan for you is so big and so mighty and so forethought that all you have to do is wake up and realize where you fit into it. That's what happened here with Samuel. God had it all laid out for Samuel. All the things that Samuel would do. All Samuel had to do was wake up and say, Here am I, Lord, speak. Think about that. When was the last time you just said, God, help me. God, tell me what to do. You lay down in your bed and looked up and say, I might be doing well at work. I may be doing well over here in this little ministry I'm involved. I may be doing this and I, it feels like I'm doing it. But God, is there anything else you need me to do? This solemn vision that Samuel would get would turn into a sacred vow. Look at verse number 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall what? It was a vow to tingle ears. He comes and he tells Samuel, I'm going to do something that people are going to hear about and they're going to know who done it. They're going to know who done it. He comes to Samuel and he says, I'm about to do something huge. I'm about to do something big. I'm about to fulfill a promise that I made to Eli. I'm about to bring judgment on his home for his home's behavior. And when I do this thing, when I perform this work, when I do what I said I would do, the ears of the people of Israel are going to tingle. They are going to know God is still on the throne. God is still in charge. No matter what the media might try to tell you. Kids, no matter what your public school system may try to tell you. Employees like me, no matter what your company may try to tell you. And what your company may be trying to push you to do or say or act. God is still on the throne. 
God is still on the throne. He said, Samuel, I'm about to do something. And I'm going to tell you what it is here in just a couple of verses. And it's going to be scary. It's going to be frightful. But I'm about to do something. And when I do it, everyone will know it was God. There would be no other explanation. There would be no other uh, way that they could explain it away or point the finger at this or point finger at that. I'm going to do something with this next generation. I'm going to do something with this next group of people. I'm going to do something with this next prophet of God that everyone will know it was me. Everyone will know it was me. God does that to preachers sometimes. He just has to remind us that it's Him. It's not us. And God does that to us sometimes as people of God, as workers and men and women and children of God. Sometimes we start thinking, man, look at what I've got going on. Then he has to remind us, it's, it's all me. It's all him. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Verse number 12. In that day, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning this house. When I begin, I will also make an end. There's so much there. When I begin... I will also make an end. Everything God begins, He already knows the ending to. Everything God starts, He already knows how to finish. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our input. The work He calls you and I to do, the call He places on each and every one of our lives, the moment He calls us, the end is already prepared. It's up to us to follow it. Verse 13, For I have told Him that I will judge His house forever for the iniquity which He knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Here he says to Samuel, I am about to purge iniquity. It was a vow to tingle ears, but it was a vow to purge iniquity. Eli knows what must be done. Eli in his age now knows why the lamp of God went out. Why the spiritual climate had grown dim. Why the family and the people of God had lost a little of their power and lost a little of their closeness with the God. The answer was S-I-N. It is the same answer in 2021. Why has the church lost its power? Why has the church lost its foothold? Why has the church lost authority? The answer is and always will be S-I-N. Until we are willing to take up the gauntlet to purge instead of play, to discipline and disciple rather than just deal with and let it go on and just kind of look the other way. Yeah, we know that's going on over there in that home. Yeah, we know that's going on over there. And, you know, as brothers and sisters, we ought not to throw stones at them, but we could at least say, hey, you know, this is what the Bible says. And I just want to warn you as an elder of God, as a brother of God, as a sister of God, I'm not judging you. I'm not bashing you. I'm not beating you over the head with a rock. I'm no better than you are. But just remember that sin has a consequence and sin has a price and if we're going to come together and if we're going to meet and dwell in unity if we're going to move forward as the church of the living God we cannot play with sin we cannot allow our kids and our homes to just do whatever they want to do and say preacher you can't go into that that's my business preacher you can't say nothing about that that is business well guess what it is your business but it's God's business if you're walking around saying that you're a Christian if you're walking around naming the name of Christ he ain't going to let you just do whatever you want in your home he ain't going to let you just say whatever you want in your home. I hope a Sunday morning crowd can take preaching like this this morning, but sin is nothing to be played with. 
Eli is going down, Samuel. And it really wasn't Eli, it was his home. But because Eli restrained them not, it says. Because Eli didn't deal with it. I've now got to take his home out of the church. I've now got to take his home and pass it off the scene. It was a vow to tingle ears. It was a vow to purge iniquity. And it was a vow to transition preachers. Samuel, you're up. Samuel, you're up. As far as we know in our text, there's two preachers in this tabernacle. Eli and Samuel. So when God's looking at Samuel saying, Eli's about to go away, who's that leave? Samuel. Samuel, this morning, as Miss Joy and our invitation is coming, realize that synonymous voice. Realize Eli's in the building this morning. Your words have meaning. Your advice has meaning. Your experiences and your knowledge has power. But you've got to be willing to open your mouth and share it. Realize that God's calling, that vow that He made to Samuel, God's calling is bigger than your circumstances, Eli's and Samuel in the room. Realize that all God needs for His calling on your life to become real and become powerful is for you to wake up and answer it. Answer in the phone. Realize that sometimes, as Samuel would find out, we're going to dive in deeper tonight, the next steps are the hardest ones. Because you know what Samuel heard? Samuel, the generation before you let you down, son, and I'm about to deal with them. You're up. You're up. And I don't want to preach too much of tonight, so we're going to end it right here. Sometimes, when dealing with God's calling on your life, that next step is the hardest one to take. Heads bowed, eyes closed as we pray. Father, thank you so much for the Samuels and the Elis in the room. God, we know Eli's home was broken. We know Eli was chastised and punished. But God, we know Eli raised this young man. God, we know Eli raised this and taught this young man. Lord, for the Elis in the room this morning, God, help them to see how big their call is on their life. Help them to see how weightful and giant their responsibility they have to teach this next generation. God, and for the Samuels in the room that you're dealing with, the young men and young ladies that you're calling, that you're speaking to, that you're giving conviction and power to go and live for you, to be pure under your name. God, help them to see that you're with them and your calling is not based on their circumstances. God, I pray for anointing and vision over this message. God, I pray that you touch lives. If there's one in here that just needs to answer the call, the call to salvation or the call into ministry, the call to move, the call to grow, God, I pray that you bring them to an altar, help them to pick up the phone and answer. God, help us not to be guilty of falling asleep this morning. In Jesus' name.